This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. We've got a really fun show today. Since The Bachelor's My Guilty Pleasure show and former Wake receiver Matt James will be the star of this season, the season that starts next week, we'll do our Bachelor draft in 30 minutes. But speaking of what's coming next week, we are one week exactly away from the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Usually it's the first week of December. Obviously, COVID in 2020 has messed up all of our sporting schedules. It's one of the few awards that still really matter to me. I still care about the Oscars. I take it really seriously. My brother, he works for Disney out in L.A., one of my best friends, childhood friends growing up. He works in movies in Atlanta, so I have an appreciation for the Oscars and always have. Don't really care much for the Grammys or the Emmys, but I really do care about the Heisman Trophy and its history because I love college football, which is why, for the good of the sport, Trevor Lawrence should be the Heisman Trophy recipient this season. Dabo Sweeney. He got this conversation rolling after Clemson's ACC championship blowout of Notre Dame a few weeks ago in Charlotte. It would be a crying shame if the Heisman didn't attach their name to Trevor Lawrence. All right? That would be a shame. All right? I know, I know, I know that's become a stat award, but if you watch college football and you don't know this is the best player in the country, I don't know what you're looking at. So, to me, the Heisman should want their name attached to Trevor Lawrence. That's what I got to say about that guy. And I put out a poll on social media. Should Trevor Lawrence win the Heisman? 52% of those who voted thus far say yes, but it's a really tightly contested subject, as it should be. A lot of good players in college football. I agree with Dabo wholeheartedly. Stats. Don't define greatness. These things have become stat awards. I know it because I vote for the Bolitnikoff. Robert, did you know that, by the way? I didn't, but when you brought this up, I figured you were leveraging for a Heisman vote now. I would love a Heisman vote. Only problem is there's way too many Heisman voters. 900 Heisman voters out there. There are issues with the Heisman voting we could get to at another time, but rather than do that, let's just look at how stats have affected our awards. It doesn't have to. Who says that stats are the way to define what greatness is? When I think of the greatest athletes in sports, I think of Muhammad Ali and I think about Michael Jordan. Muhammad Ali doesn't have the best boxing heavyweight record. Michael Jordan, he didn't win the most rings among NBA players, but we still consider those guys to be the greatest. Stats, they don't have to be everything, and they are with all these awards. I didn't vote for the guy who ended up winning the Bolitnikoff last year. They gave it to Jamar Chase because he had the best stats, but I watched LSU, and I saw a ton of great receivers. He was every bit as good as Justin Jefferson was, so I couldn't in good conscience give it to him when I understood that some of these other guys were thriving while facing double coverage. I I voted for C.D. Lamb. This year, there's no doubt Devontae Smith's going to win. I see some even arguing he should win it as the AP named him the 
College Football Player of the Year, the first wide receiver to win that award, and some say he should win the Heisman. I don't think that should happen, even though I think he's had a great year. Stats should not define greatness. If I go to the Heisman Trust mission statement, let me read it to you right now. You tell me where stats are included in it. The Heisman Memorial Trophy annually recognizes the outstanding college football player whose performance best exhibits the pursuit of excellence with integrity. The winners of the trophy epitomize great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work. The Heisman Trophy's trust, their mission is to ensure the continuation and integrity of this award. If they want to do that, the winner has to be Trevor Lawrence. So it doesn't even have to be the best player in the country. It doesn't say that in their mission statement either. It doesn't. It is ambiguous. Good. Kind of like the college football playoff committee. We know in college football, it doesn't have to be about best stats. Otherwise, Cincinnati or Texas A&M would be going to the playoff over Ohio State. Let's not punish Trevor Lawrence because he missed two games due to having COVID. Let's not do that because that is the primary reason Trevor isn't going to win this award. I don't think he's going to win. I think he should win. I think it's the right thing for him to win. Trevor has less support than Trask and Mac Jones. Trask and Mac Jones, they have better stats. They play in the SEC. But Trask has the best weapon in all of college football in Kyle Pitts. It's probably going to be a top 10 pick. Robert, how often do tight ends go in the top 10 of the draft? Uh, you've only seen a few in the last few years with Hawkinson at 10 and Ebron just a little bit out of that at 12, I believe. Very rarely happens. That's how good Kyle Pitts is for Trask. Mac Jones has the best wide receiving core in the country. You got Devontae Smith. You had Jalen Waddle at the start of the year. They have wide receivers all over the place. They grow on trees in Tuscaloosa. Trevor Lawrence, as we've been covering all throughout this year, doesn't really have the elite talent to throw the ball to this year. Lost T. Higgins to the draft. Justin Ross injured, not playing this year. Travis Etienne hasn't had a good year. If you've watched Clemson, Trevor's faced a lot more pressure than he's done the last few years because, or he's had the last few years because his offensive line isn't nearly as good. They lost starters there. Yet, Trevor still has the highest completion percentage of his career. Still has the highest yards per attempt, even though in the games he play, none of them are close because he blows everybody out. He hasn't lost a game this year. Highest quarterback rating as well. And this really matters. All of this matters. The award matters. The AP All-American list matter historically. When I think of the history of the award, the Heisman, Picking Mac Jones or Kyle Trask to win over Trevor Lawrence would be like in 1985 picking Iowa quarterback Chuck Long over Bo Jackson. That's what it would be like. You go back then, Iowa, surprise team, top five, really good. I think they were number one in the country at one point that year. And Long stats, best in the country at quarterback. Bo Jackson, he didn't even lead running backs in rushing that year. Yet Bo Jackson won the award because he's bleeping Bo Jackson, right? History tells us that was the right move in 1985. Bo Jackson deserved to win the award over Chuck Long. 
if you give it to Trask, if you give it to Mac over uh, Trevor Lawrence, it'd be like giving Chuck Long the award over Bo Jackson. Or like when they gave Jason White from Oklahoma the award over Larry Fitzgerald, who was just a better player. Giving it to Mark Ingram over Nadamakin Sue. Trevor, he was third team All-American. Behind Trask and Mac Jones today. That might not matter to you. But how about when I add this context here? Or actually, let me let uh, Reese Davis do it. Reese Davis was on Packer and Durham yesterday and brought up something you might not know about some of the bylaws linked to the College Football Hall of Fame. If Trevor doesn't make first-team All-American as quarterback uh, this year, then he's not going to be eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, that's as part of the bylaws. He, I mean, that's right. that's written in there. I mean, there are guys like Drew Brees that had phenomenal careers. And didn't, they weren't first-team All-Americans. And it's pretty easily justifiable this year if you had Mac Jones or Kyle Trask as a first-team All-American quarterback. Unless you win the Heisman Trophy. What kind of college football Hall of Fame would it be if 36-1 as a starter, Trevor Lawrence, doesn't get in? Potentially with two national championships to boot, that only loss he had was in the national title game to Joe Burrow and LSU. It'd be a shame. So for the good of college football, Trevor Lawrence should win the Heisman Trophy. You can tweet us at SportsUpTryin, however and wherever you're listening. We appreciate that. I was listening to Scott Van Pelt on a podcast last week, and he was talking to massive App State and North Carolina fan Luke Combs, the great country music singer talking about the Carolina Panthers when he said, oh, Joe Brady, offensive coordinator for the Panthers, he's gone. Done deal. That guy can have whatever job he wants. Look at the way LSU played last year. Look how they played now. That guy's going to be an NFL head coach. I agree with that, but timing's everything. And Robert, I really feel like this isn't just me covering the Carolina Panthers speaking. I feel like this isn't the right time for Joe Brady to take a head coaching job, and here's why. He's not proven enough. He's a semi-hot name at the moment in the football community, but he's not proven enough for a good job to become available to him. The Jags, that's going to be a coveted job. You have all those draft picks. You have all that cap space. You have the number one pick. You have the most picks. That's going to be a really attractive job. Atlanta has good ownership. They've been in the Super Bowl the last five years. That's going to be an appealing job. You have Matt Ryan already available to you. Houston, not a great ownership situation, but they're going to have a new GM, so you might get a role in helping pick that GM, and you have Deshaun Watson, one of the five best quarterbacks in the sport, in my opinion. None of those jobs are going to be available to Joe Brady. If they are, by all means, take them. You will not hear any criticism from me. Odds are the bad organizations, the ones that are perennially looking for coaches, are going to be the ones knocking on Joe Brady's door. Teams trying to reach. Teams trying to get in early on names. The Jets, the Lions. That's what he'd be looking at. And if you're wondering what might be best to do when the Lions or the Jets come calling, how about just look at what your head coach did? Two years ago, Matt Rule was offered the Jets job. He turned it down because the Jets do Jets things. Specifically saying, you have to, if we hire you, you don't get to pick your assistants. You don't get to pick your coordinators. 
He turned it down knowing that interview helped him. He would get another NFL opportunity. And he did a couple years later, hired by the Panthers. Or I guess a year later, he was hired by the Panthers. The offseason, it's still very murky right now. No one really wants to acknowledge it because we're all still hoping for a miracle to happen with COVID and for things to come back to normal in the next month or two. Reality tells us that's not on the horizon. That's probably still, you know, a, a half dozen months or so away. So the offseason's still going to be murky. It's uncertain if you're going to get OTAs. The draft process, it's not going to be the same. I don't know if they're going to have a combine this year. If I'm going to take a leap and become a head coach for the first time, I'd like to do so under better circumstances. And if he stays, Robert, he'd become the hottest name on the market at this time next year. It's kind of like Eric Bieniemy. He's the big name among assistants right now. A year ago, I'm going to be honest, I cover the NFL. I semi-knew the name Eric Bieniemy. Oh, yeah, the former Colorado running back. I get it. But Eric Bieniemy is now a household name in football. That's what happens when you stay an extra year. And he's going to have his pick of the litter, I believe, jobs that he wants. That could be Joe Brady a year from now. Plus, the Panthers, this year they weren't expected to win. Next year, I don't even know if they're going to be expected to win, but you you can win in that division with the Falcons rebooting, Drew Brees likely to retire, and Tom Brady in Tampa, 44 years old. That could be a division for the taking, which would enhance his stock as well. So I think right now, He probably could get an NFL head coaching job. I don't think it's the right time for him to do so. Bachelor draft for 15 minutes. On the way, just how bad is ACC basketball right now? Well, there is a stat. Something happened earlier this month we haven't seen in nearly a quarter century that I'll share with you next on The Drive. Ding, ding, boys. School's in session. Let's go, man. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. All right, since Sawyer Dillon's in the house, we'll appease him with some Justin Timberlake. And since The Bachelor's going to start next week with former Deacon wide receiver Matt James starring... We figured, why not do a Bachelor draft here? Robert, Sawyer, and myself will all get four picks here. Four picks. I've done way too much research on this topic. Sarah Bradford helped me last night going through the Instagrams of all the contestants, all 32 of them, and going through Matt James's IG to try and figure out what his type might be. A lot of homework has been done. I was doing this as I was walking through Costco. I'm ready to go. Sawyer, I hope you guys are too. It's our Bachelor Draft. Robert, you randomized the draft order. What is it going to be? Snake draft style. Who is going first? What's that order? It's going to start with Sawyer, then it's going to go to you, Josh, and then it's going to come back to me. So the second round will be me, you, Sawyer. Wow, Sawyer. So you got the number one pick. Number one Hmm. pick. I'm struggling here. I want to choose between two. I think I'm going to have to go with my gut. For the first pick in the Bachelor draft, I'm going to go with Bree, the 24-year-old communication manager from San Francisco, California. Bree is pretty. She's really tight with her mom. That's what I liked. That is a really strong pick. 
but she was not in the top six of my big board here. Top that's six. actually a good sign for me because you've known not to pick the <laughs> All best. Right, I'm ready to so go. I'm, I'm okay with it. Top of my big board. This seems like a girl that Robert would pick, so I do not want him to steal her off my board. I'm going to go with MJ. MJ MJ's on my board, 23 years old, tremendous hair, hairstylist. She seems to be sweet, but not too good for The Bachelor. Not specifically Matt James, but the show, which we learned. You don't want to pick people that are too good for the show and not going to invest. You got to be a little bit of crazy. MJ, I think, has all the makings here. Her initials. Come on now. It's MJ here. MJ has to be the pick. That is my first pick of the Bachelor draft. Mm, now I'm on the clock, I guess. But while I'm on the clock, I'll use this time to say, Josh, you're a terrible general manager because you put your big board on Snapchat last <laughs> night. And I have it over here. Oh, no. So we've been I, scouring it. I yeah, know everyone you're going to pick. Uh, I, I put it on Snapchat. We've all you were seen like, it. You doing some big board work. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. MJ, Sarah, Alana, all these guys. Uh, I, I'm but glad you can't read my handwriting. <laughs> but it's a, I, I, I really don't have it Sarah in front Robert of me. Sarah can't read my handwriting either. I, have, I had six girls and none of our six mesh, so it really didn't matter to me either. With the first pick, the last pick in the first round. Oh, let me get my noise going. I'm going to select Abigail. I really liked Abigail, mostly because of the way she picks up guys. Her favorite way is to bump into guys randomly and be like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. Oh, you're really cute. I was like, if somebody did that to me, they'd get me. That'd definitely get me. So I'm going Abigail with my first pick. And since I'm still on the clock, I'll go ahead and make my second selection. And I'm going to pick Rachel. Uh, she's from Georgia. Oh. She's a Southern girl. And... She's neat, which I, I'm drafting these girls as who I would pick, and I need somebody that's clean because I'm very messy. So the Abigail and Rachel are my two picks in the Bachelor draft. Or bachelor <sighs> draft. Did I wakey leaks myself? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, I saw it. I was like, this is gonna be fake. In this honor of wake wide receiver Matt James, I wakey leaked myself. That's what I did. All right, my second pick. I'm gonna go ahead and go with. Anna. Oh, wait. I forgot the sound. Yeah, you got to wait, wait. Sorry about that. You're good. Anna's the pick. This is where my research helps me out here. She looks the most like Hannah Brown. Mm. You know, that's who Tyler went after but couldn't quite get. And on top of that, all his past girlfriends tend to be blondes with long hair. Mm. So I'm going MJ. I'm going Anna as my second pick. 24 year old copywriter. I am. All in on MJ and Anna as my top two picks. Sawyer, you have two in a row now. The pick is in. <laughs> um, We've been going out of order. You got to get the card in. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, a forfeiture yeah. of a pick, actually, at the time. Sorry right about that. Uh, my second pick is going to be, I think this is how you pronounce it, Jacenia, uh, the 27-year-old social media marketer out of San Antonio, Texas. I don't know. She just looks like a happy girl. And sometimes, you know, Texas, social media, maybe she'll boost Matt James' Instagram. She's a social account. media barcoder? What does that mean? Marketer. Oh, I thought you said barcoder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> so, what is she You got Jacinia and you've got Bree. Who is your next pick? Sawyer Dillon. My next pick is going to be Elena. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah, it the is. health food developer from New York City. She looks straight up New York. Uh, I just I just like her look, you know, and health food. She's got to be smart. 
Oh, this is Ileana. Ileana? There's a Alana and a Ileana. A, a, a Liliana. She she's a really uh, interesting pick here because I feel like she's someone that could outright win the show because she is an absolute, I mean, attractive woman. Wow. Has all the makings here. But question is, is she good, too good for the show? Like, she has her own nutrition bar. Mm. What? You I'm getting a businesswoman here, too, with this pick. All right, I like it. I'm, I'm happy with my two, two picks. <laughs> she has her own nutrition bar, something like something something monkeys. I forget what it's called, but it's something like that. All right, I'm up next. Ooh, this is where it gets tough. So I got MJ, I got Anna. I'm just going to go three for three blondes. I'm going to go Sarah because she is a former television anchor, former television anchor in Pensacola, Florida, and also in California. I think that could do really well. You can ask the right questions. You got to have a certain level of intelligence to get to that point in those markets. So I respect that. And also, again, I'm I'm feeding to the type here. I'm feeding that I think he's going to be really into blonde. So I got MJ, I got Anna, and I got Sarah. What is next for Robert Walsh? Oh, I'm in back-to-back picks here. Okay, now I get to grab my last two girls, right? These are my last, last two, two This picks. We each have, me and Sawyer have one more pick you got to. All right, in no particular order. Uh, with my first selection, I'm going to take Mary. Uh, her last name is very exciting for me. She also won uh, Miss Maryland. So I know she has to at least be a fan of the Ravens. This is Mary with an I. Mary with an I. Oh, no, mm. this is Mary with a P. Mary P. Oh, you got Mary P. Oh, you see, Josh trying to – I don't describe this girl. She wants to go to an elephant sanctuary. She likes to cook. I want Mary P with my first pick. And the last pick of my draft mm. – Ah, it's tough here between my five and six, but I think I'm going to go with my six because it's my girl. She has a pet chicken. She loves the Raptors. I'm going <laughs> Serena Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. Raptors fan owns a chicken. There's somebody else that does like Katie does rap songs and music videos. And oh, yeah. Such. I wouldn't have picked her. Uh-huh. Not that. She seemed to be so sweet. Sarah Bradford's like, oh, man, pick her. She's super sweet. Then you pull up her Instagram, and all her videos are incredibly vulgar. <laughs> okay, maybe I would have picked her then. Uh, my last pick, I'm going to go with Alana. Not to be confused with Ileana. I'm going Alana, high class, from Toronto, uh, a photographer. I, I'd imagine she's a Raptors fan. Here's what sold me. Matt James, when I see all the ads and the type of stuff that he wears, he's the guy who wears turtleneck sweaters and wears... Suits all over the place. She's really into the movie The Holiday. Anybody who knows the, sh- the movie The Holiday, it- it's high-class houses, it's high-class clothes, Toronto photographer, now a model. Alana seems like she might be Matt James' type. So that'll be my final pick. I'm going Alana as my final pick. Sawyer, close us out. Sad part is the pick is not in yet, but we'll go the ahead and ring the sound. It feel, We're making I feel a pick like on the fly. Sec, We're making we, a pick on the fly. Did somebody take your picks? No, I just am second-guessing my pick I had for the last one. Wow. Talk us through it. Who did you second-guess? Well, I had, because we're the same age, I had Kit. But I don't see Matt being with like Kit. No chance, Kit. Like right. no chance. And she's got a famous dad, right? Famous yeah. Parents. She's, she's like got, a celebrity she's already. Got brown eyebrows and her hair is just—it it looks white in the photo, but 
It, I'd imagine it's blonde. Josh does not like discolored eyebrow hair combos. Wait, so go through your go through your picks really quick. Okay. For the la- yeah, let's go, let's go recap through. it real go quick. Through. I got MJ, Anna, Sarah, and Alana. Robert, you have Abigail, Serena. Is it Mary P that you Mary took? Mary P and Rachel. And you took Rachel, who is the Southern Belle from Georgia. Okay, I think I have a pick. All right, you are you have Bree so far. Mm-hmm. Who else have you taken here? It's a great oh, question. You took Ileana. You took Ileana and Jacenia. And then Jacenia. And Jacenia. Who is your last pick to close out our Bachelor draft? For former Wake wide receiver Matt James. I'm taking Sana. Is that how you pronounce it? Sane. Sane. The IT this consultant really from Colorado. This is a really good pick. She's in the same category as Ileana. Could win the entire damn thing. Also could be way too good for Matt James or this show. I'm tired of picking she's the good girls. IT, she's an IT consultant <laughs> from Denver, man. Come on now. She's at the University of Florida Hall of Fame. Whoa. For what? <laughs> I don't know. Well, what a what a steal. What a steal. <laughs> what a steal. That's first round talent right there. Had some off the field issues. Got her down to the I wish there was a way fourth, to score but. this that wasn't like, oh, this girl wins. Like you get Should two points do... for a kiss, one point for a hug. Well, how about... If, if tongue you get is shown, certain, you get four points. If you get to Ooh, certain yeah. levels, potentially, if you get to hometowns, maybe you get a point. If you get, well, I guess if somebody wins the entire thing, you're just going to win, period. But what should we get? See, there's 32. So who, if one of our ladies here that we picked on the show wins, what should the prize be? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me like what? Robert's gonna have something, right? I don't uh, know, man. It's just whoever lasts the longest, right? Like yeah. whichever. That's right. All right, wh- okay. Whichever one of our picks lasts the longest, we uh, win. Yeah, and whoever wins, what do we get? My girl with the chickens going home. Whoever wins has to buy me a pet chicken. Oh my god! But what if you? Uh, then I would buy one of you guys a pet chicken. All right. Well, let's think on this. We'll, we'll come back. To you don't want yeah, the pet we'll, chicken? We'll figure it out. We'll chicken. figure it out for the Bachelor Minute. You guys next Tuesday. We'll this. do that. Sawyer, appreciate you being in here, buddy. No problem. I appreciate you uh, taking some really bad picks and letting me get everyone I wanted. <laughs> Shut up. I got all the top four on my big board, even though I leaked it out on Snapchat, apparently. Got to be better about that. All right. You don't have to. You could leave it. I'll tell you why I expect. Wake Forest to win tomorrow's Duke's Mayo Bowl next on The Drive. Real talky, but not real listening. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Darren Gant, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter from Panthers.com joining us. Before we get into what's going on with the Carolina Panthers, I feel obligated to talk about Cam Newton because he played here and you didn't capitalize on a terrific marketing opportunity sitting right in front of you to make t-shirts saying Cam Newton makes people stupid. I would have (laughs) bought it and I think a lot of people would buy it. And a lot of people got mad at us on the social media webs this summer when we were talking about Cam and specifically how I think he already had a resume that looked like a Hall of Famer. And you agreed with me on that based on the rushing totals, his impact on the game, how he's kind of shed some of these quarterback 
prototypes that existed before. And now that we're seeing him struggle with New England and his injury track record is what it is, I I really do feel like we're seeing potentially the end of Cam's career because there are more qualified quarterbacks coming out of college than we've ever seen before. There, you know, it there isn't as much of a prototype in place, so there are more guys who could do a competent job. And Cam would is always, even though he's not this year, he's probably going to be an expensive option if somebody else wanted to go that way in the future. And it's probably not going to be a starting gig. So let's start there, Darren. Do you think right now we're watching the end of Cam's career? Uh, I don't know. I, I hope not. And and I think specifically when we were talking about it this summer, I said if he never played another down, I think, in my opinion, he's a Hall of Famer. And he might have been closer to it if that had been the truth. I mean, because what's happened this year just reinforces all those old, wrong, dumb, negative stereotypes about his game and what people thought it was. Um, I mean, the reality is Cam's physically broken at this point. I, I think it's pretty obvious that that shoulder is, has progressed to the point where the idea of Cam Newton playing 16 games in a row or even beyond that going into the playoffs, it's kind of far-fetched at this point. It's hard to imagine that turning around at this point. I mean, he's almost like, you know, a runner once their knees are gone, you know, and they just physically cannot run anymore. I mean, that's kind of – it looks like that's where he is now – Based on what he looked like in September, October, you know, could he, you know, if he was somebody's backup and a and a quarterback got hurt in late November, early December, could he make a run four, five, six games into the playoffs? I think he's probably still got that in him. I just, uh, I just think the days of him playing every snap, sixteen games, it just doesn't look like he's capable of that right now. And I mean, I would hate to count the guy out because he's such a unique player. I mean, he truly is the unicorn. We've never seen anything like him. I mean, the the quarterbacks he compared to as a thrower early on were Hall of Fame throwers. I mean, and the guys he compared to as a runner were all half his size. So, I mean, he was just such a unique, unique player, and so special at what he did that it's a, it's a shame to see it end like this, if this is the end. What do you think Cam's next step will be beyond football because with his level of polarity with his flair and style and interest in fashion and entertainment that doesn't strike me as somebody who's gonna go in a booth or be an NFL analyst but eh, maybe like what Michael Strahan does entertainment I don't feel like when he's done playing football that's the last we're going to see of Cam I wouldn't. Th- I wouldn't think so. And I mean, even and again, so many of the things that were initially kind of or could be innocently perceived as positives about Cam became negatives over the course of his career when he told Peter about being wanting to be an icon and an entertainer. I mean, Cam's a kid that likes to have fun, and he was great at playing ball. And I think he's going to continue to have fun. Um, you know, look what he did in Charlotte. I mean, everybody has charity golf tournaments. Cam had a charity kickball tournament because, you know, it was a bunch of kids running around playing a kid's game and having a good time. And and that's kind of befitting his personality. So, you know, it's hard to imagine him out of the public spotlight altogether. If he went full Greta Garbo on us and wanted to be left alone, I, I would be surprised by that. I think the spotlight will always find him. 
because he's so comfortable in it. And, you know, what that looks like, I don't think any of us would have a chance to guess right now. I mean, is he, does he have a TV show? I mean, you mentioned Strahan. I don't know that he's ever going to, you know, host game shows or anything like that, but he's, he's fun and he's got a, he's got a charm about him. One of the things I've always found interesting about the kid is, he always seemed to deal with young people better than old people. And I mean, because a lot of the old people he encountered wanted something out of him or were trying to leverage him for some of their own means. And, you know, when he was around a bunch of kids playing kickball or doing school visits, he, it always seemed like there was a burden lifted from him. So, you know, I, I hope the guy finds something that makes him happy. It's just looking at this point like football might not be it. I don't know that football is ever going to give him the positive reinforcement that it used to. Darren Gant with us here, Panthers.com. He's on Twitter at Darren Gant. We were talking, I don't know if it was on air or off, but I assume on about Joe Brady's uh, future potentially, him maybe even being an NFL head coach as soon as mm-hmm. this off season. And I was listening to a podcast. It was Scott Van Pelt with, um, famous country music singer Luke Combs, who's a massive Panther fan, App State the guy. ASU guy. Yeah, yeah, ASU guy, like yourself. And his one question to Scott was, hey, what do you think about this Joe Brady guy? And he said, that guy's gone after this year. For sure, that guy's going to be an NFL head coach. And I think he could be a head coach if he wanted to, but I don't think it's going to be coaching Deshaun Watson. I don't think it's going to be a very coveted job with all those draft picks and potentially Trevor Lawrence and also a ton of cap space in Jacksonville, Atlanta with good ownership being in the Super Bowl the last five years. It seems like to me, if Joe Brady's going to be a head coach, it's not going to be the top of the line teams knocking on the door. How do you see the prospects, at least for right now, Joe Brady head coaching options? Man, the conversations are so much different than they were two months ago. I mean, when the Panthers win those three early games and Joe Brady's getting head coach's jobs after five minutes as a coordinator at 11 years old, you know, it was a different time. It was a headier, it was a simpler time, darn it. Um, <laughs> time has a way of complicating a lot of this stuff. I don't know that he'd get that opportunity at this point. I mean, based on the way the last, based on the way the last eight weeks have gone. So I, I don't know. We'll see if he even gets a shot at it. But I think with um, you know with him, it's just going to be, is he mature as a play caller? Is he ready to take on all the other stuff other than being a, a play caller? I mean, being a head coach is a CEO job. And I, he hadn't been in the factory long enough to know that he's qualified to be a CEO. So, But, again, the perception is so different than it was in early to mid-October for so many people. I mean, Joe Brady was thought of, because of those early wins, as an up-and-coming potential head coach. And people thought, hey, maybe Teddy Bridgewater is actually pretty good at this. And, boy, the narrative on both those guys has really changed over the last couple months when I, I think if we're honest with ourselves – this is kind of what the Panthers were always going to look like this year. This was always going to be a rebuild. And losing Christian McCaffrey makes it hard for me to honestly evaluate either Joe Brady or Teddy Bridgewater, to be honest with you, because we haven't seen them operate with a full deck. It's also one of those things where football people, you know, there are some who are really hardcore that knew about all the potential coaching candidates 
a year ago like Eric Bieniemy or Brian Dayball with the with the Buffalo Bills. But if I'm being honest, I probably didn't know those guys outside of the fact Bieniemy's name sounded familiar with this Colorado Buffaloes background uh, mm. way back when. Now that guy is a household name. If Joe Brady doesn't get a job this year, well, in a division with Drew Brees potentially retiring and Atlanta rebooting and Tom Brady at 44, there's a, there's some opportunity with Carolina. But I want to close with this, Darren. You love music as I do. I love New Year's Eve shows. Always have. Last year, I went to the Avett Brothers one in Greensboro. It go. was great. Probably the highlight of my 2020, if I'm being honest. What is the best New Year's Eve show you've ever attended? You know, Avett's here in Charlotte a couple of years ago. New Year's Eve was great. And, and it was one of those, I mean, there's just, that's what I love about live music because it transcends the band you're seeing on the stage. It's a moment in time. It's the people you're there with. You know, it's it's the feeling you get when you're in that room where all that energy is happening. And the band gets it from you. You get it from the band. It, it's kind of funny. I was talking just a few minutes ago. I was listening this morning while I ran to Sturgill Simpson's new Bluegrass album and the volume two of that one that just dropped a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we were, I was talking with a buddy of mine. I went to see him in March while he actively had COVID a couple of days before he tested and and announced that he had tested positive in early March. And my buddy said something about, hey, remember when we saw Sturgill and Todd Childers, you know, in Charlotte? And I said, yeah, that was what, five, six, seven years ago? No, it was in March. It's been a long time. So hopefully uh, hopefully, once we get 2020 in the rearview mirror, we can get back to a spot where we can enjoy those good feelings in that room again. You still hoping to see the Stones? Hope so. They're still holding my money, so... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they got about $1,200 of Darren Ganshard earned in their pocket, so hopefully they come around and, and put on a show for us at some point. I hope so. I mean, that's one of those things. It's, you know, I debated expensive tickets, but it's like, it's the Stones. It's Keith and Mick. Of course you want to go see them. What if it's the last time and you regret missing it? I mean, I never got to see Tom Petty, and I remember so many times Tom Petty came around so often, you sort of took him for granted. And I remember going, ah, I'll go see him next summer. I'll go see him. And you know, now there's no more next summer. So, you know, go see the show is Darren Gant's advice to you for the new year. Once once you get your shot, once you get your shot, once you get vaccinated, then you go see the show. Always go see the show. Shots, plural. Darren Gant, you're the man. Good to hear from you. Hope we yeah, can chat sometime soon. Y'all have a good soon. new year. Yep, see you later. That is Darren Gant from pro, previously profootballtalk.com, panthers.com, now Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. Okay. Should Trevor Lawrence win the Heisman Trophy? I say absolutely for the good of college football. And I'll tell you why next. What are you talking about? What's he talking about? I'm talking about the one and only Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Yay! Yay! We were set to have three games in ACC action tonight. Headlined by Duke and Pittsburgh, but Duke Pitt postponed yesterday due to a positive case in the Pitt basketball program. So we'll have to settle with a few games I think could be pretty competitive. Clemson hosting Florida State at Little John. You have Miami playing at Virginia Tech. The Hokies sneaking into the top 25 again at number 24. But even as that is the case, I really can't remember a time in my life that the ACC has been this kind of down. Earlier this month, 
the AP poll was released without an ACC team in the top 10, the last time that happened was in 1996, where the top-ranked ACC team was a Tim Duncan Wake Forest team that was ranked 12. Well, yesterday's poll came out, and after Virginia lost convincingly to Gonzaga, there is not an ACC team ranked in the top 15. So it's not good right now. Brian Geisinger is now with us, accsports.com. I feel pretty confident saying right now, this is the worst we've seen the ACC in basketball probably in a generation. How do you read it? Do you agree with me on that? Uh, I'm not ready to go there quite yet, though, to be clear. Like, yeah, the start of the season has been uh, thoroughly uninspiring. Um, but it's a weird season, right? Like, it's been a month. Like, the season started, you know, probably just 30-whatever days ago in terms of gameplay. How many teams have had their season interrupted, if not because of a positive COVID test or multiple positive COVID tests um, in their own program um, or teams they were going to play and maybe because – you know, the way they've reworked the schedule, that's caused them to look worse. Like, you know, Virginia wasn't initially supposed to play Gonzaga, and then all of a sudden that game comes together two weeks ago, and now you go go against Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy and the rest of those guys. Uh, you know, no one asked for that. But also, like, I, you know, 2018 the league wasn't so great that year either, too, the year after UNC won the title. Like, 2018, you know, Duke eventually found its own head, but, like, that was sort of, like, not a great year for the league in general, including UVA, you know, being the number one seed and losing to UMBC. So it's early. I'm not ready to go there quite yet, but obviously, yes, like the start of the season has not been, um, you know, people just thought Duke and Virginia would be a little bit better, I think. So um, same with UNC. So let's, let's try to spin it optimistically then. North Carolina and Duke, we can both agree, it, it is way too early. They're both really raw, young teams. When you're starting to figure out who the best team in the ACC is right now or who projects to be. We were talking about Louisville just a few weeks ago. Yeah, Carleek Jones looks great transferring from Radford, and they got these two really good guards. David Johnson, we saw what he did in Cameron last year. Oh, man, when they get Malik Williams back, and that is going to be a big deal. Then they they lose by 40 to Wisconsin. And Virginia gets blasted by Gonzaga. Granted, everybody that plays Gonzaga is getting blasted by the Bulldogs. Florida State hasn't looked, I'll use your word, inspiring yet. (laughs) Even though they have the best recruit the ACC has this year uh, in terms of a freshman and Scotty Barnes, or at least he's supposed to be, and some returning players, where do you look to when you're starting to have the conversation with people about the class of the ACC? Yeah, I guess... You know, maybe I'll end up going down with the ship. But, uh, you know, all since the summer, I, I've said uh, Virginia. And that was even before I thought Trey Murphy the third was going to play this year. In fact, he's looked pretty pretty damn good offensively for UVA. And I think he's played well, at least offensively with Sam Hauser. But it is tough. Like, I was a little more bullish on this Virginia defense. And this does not look like a traditional Tony Bennett defense, though I'm sure they're still going to finish highly in terms of, you know, overall net defensive efficiency. I would, you know, bet the farm on that. But this is not a, a vintage Bennett defense at UVA. Um, but I still think this UVA team, their their guards are too good. Reese Beekman's a really good freshman guard. Kia Clark's a veteran. I still think Hauser has, has it in him to be one of the best offensive pieces in the ACC, and he shot the ball pretty well to start the year. Jay Huff's 
you know, got some limitations, but he's really talented and productive at the rim on both, on both ends of the court. So I'll still ride with UVA as the class of the ACC. Um, you know, I, I'd love to know more about when Jalen Johnson might come back for Duke before they get thrown into this this mix again. I love this Florida State team, but uh, as much as I enjoy Scotty Barnes, and he's a really good player and he's a really appealing prospect, they've got a power forward slash center playing point guard for them. And I know that's like some bizarro version of Leonard Hamilton Nirvana, but it's also like it makes it hard to create in the half court some too. So like they've got to be able to get in transition. They've got to defend. And yeah, they're going to do that on most nights, but I feel like their margin for error is less this year without having guys like Devin Vassell and, and Trent Forrest and got Pat Williams, guys that could like really ignite the half court offense when they needed a spark last year. So um, I still say Virginia Louisville is interesting. I think they're missing a couple pieces, not just the, not just the injured guys. Like I wish they had a little more shooting, uh, but I do like that Louisville team a lot, actually, as well. B guys underscore bird. That's where you can find him on Twitter. I'm probably going to go Florida State as of right now, but my mind could be changed game to game on that. Let's transition things to the NBA and Lamelo Ball. We have a small sample size of regular season games. Three three games he's played thus far with the Hornets hasn't played mm-hmm. more than 20 minutes. The worst I think we saw was in the opener where he didn't score, had three turnovers in just 16 minutes, missed a handful of threes. But then the best of what we've seen so far was against Brooklyn playing 20 minutes, had a couple of three-pointers drop. You have the five rebounds, the five assists, a little bit more efficient, it seems, when you look at the advanced analytics. You've studied those closer than I have. What's your initial impression? The preseason could be a bit misleading, but the three regular season games we've seen from LaMelo Ball as a Hornet. Yeah, he even had a really nice steal um, uh, against Brooklyn as well, too. Like, team defense play off ball. He intercepted a, a bad pass uh, to Durant in the pick and roll. That I, they, I mean, he took the layup. He took it down in transition, got blocked by Durant. But the steal was nice. Um, this is kind of what I expected from LaMelo. Like, I knew, I didn't think this year he was going to be a super efficient offensive player. Like, he can't finish at the rim, and he's going to miss, you know, what, 70% of his pull-up threes, 75% of his pull-up threes this year? Like, it, it's not going to be pretty at times, but the flashes are going to be so much, so much damn fun. And, like, the the, the dunk, the Terry Rozier dunk that everyone was going crazy over the other night against Durant and Brooklyn, which was awesome, like, that was that was created because Lamelo threw a, an amazing hit ahead pass that snapped him in, into a transition possession that didn't no one else out there on the court saw it certainly not Durant um, and so yes he has this vision uh, this feel as a passer and you really see it in transition mostly now but I even thought in the Oklahoma City game where he struggled some he's shown a little more burst uh, you know his ability to sort of like get to the rim even if he's struggling to finish like he's got to get more craft and get stronger but the fact that he's able to get around some guys and get to the rim I actually think is really encouraging uh, long term like this year again it's going to be tough but as I've said to a couple people like the, the project the LaMelo Ball project in Charlotte is not 12 weeks it's not 12 months it's you know like if everything goes right it's a 12 year project right and I think you know early samples is about what we could have expected, and there have been some highlights amidst uh, amidst all of that. What do you think of the shooting mechanics, where it looks like he's shooting a bowling ball? Yeah, they're not great, that's for sure. Uh, I would not advise uh, coach, 
teach kids to shoot like that. Is there an um, example of somebody whose shooting style, nothing comes to the top of my head, mechanics-wise, that has gotten a lot better where it started to look, it started terribly, looks like Sean Marion at the free throw line, and then ends up getting really good in a, a few years span. Has anything come to mind for you? There are there are certainly a few guys. I mean, I feel like even even someone like uh, God, even someone like LeBron has, has seen a, a stride in his, his you know his pull up shooting mechanics over the years, to where he's become a pretty competent pull up shooter. Um, I feel like in it would to your point almost. I feel like more often we see guys like re- regress. You know, like we've seen that we saw this Markel Fultz, where his where his shooting stroke goes from pretty nice in college to like. Uh, I mean, he spent the last three years, like, looking for this thing. Um, we're seeing this with Brandon Clark in his second year out of Gonzaga with, with Memphis, where his, his shooting stroke appears to have sort of fallen off a cliff as well, too. Um, I don't know if you're going to see, like, noticeable changes in the shot, but eventually he's just going to have to, like, however he shoots it, he's got to be able to hit in the mid to upper 30s in terms of percentages on those pull-up threes because that's what's going to keep teams from no longer going underneath him in the pick and roll. And that's going to open up a world of opportunities for Charlotte in the half court. But uh, we got a ways to go, whether it's going to be the form or just overall like efficiency out of that shot. But it's got to get, it's got to get noticeably better in a couple different directions. What, what jumper looks better, first-year LaMelo Ball or first-year Michael Kidd-Gilchrist? Oh, God. Oh, geez. Yeah, we'll say... There's that one infamous photo of MKG <laughs> from the everyone, corner. Everyone, the the one, the elbow is just like is just contorted <laughs> in a way that it looks painful. Actually, I feel bad. Um, so because MKG is a good player, I feel like he never quite got a fair shake uh, in the NBA. Although he is he is certainly limited in, in a way that is that, that that can be viewed as crippling by some. But uh, I'll say Lamelo is slightly better. Um, because it doesn't like make my elbow ache at least to watch him shoot as opposed to 2012 uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Oh, there are some pictures that you can find on social media of his arm contorted as he's at the free throw line. BG, it's good to have you. We'll talk next week. I don't want to do the thing where I'll say I'll talk to you next year. I'm not going to be that guy. But it's good to have you Perfect. on with us as always, and we'll talk next week. See you. Talk to you next week, man. You got it. There you go. Is that guy the worst? What guy's worse, Robert? Guy who says, I'll see you next year, the last week of 2020 or whatever year it might be. Or the person that says, don't you mean last night when it's, you know, past midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Or the people that are like, I haven't seen you since last year. (laughs) (laughs) Jump off a building. Whoa. Those jokes get on my nerves. It's not funny. Is that worse than I'll see you next year? They're on the same playing field. Along with the people that tweet, it's gonna be May, or it's the September stuff. We know what the date is. Okay. It's on every we know device Earth, wind, we have. We know Earth, Wind, and Fire. We yeah. got it. Yeah. I, 21st I'm, night of September. Green Day. Yep. When September ends. We get it. It's October 1st. We get it. Mm-hmm. Trying to think of other examples. The miscongeniality, what's the perfect date? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say, is it May 24th or April 24th? Maybe that actually is a good meme because I can't remember what date it was. <laughs> I'll see you next year. Are we just doing the thing, the memes we're tired of? I don't know. Here's a meme I'm not tired of, and I will favorite your tweet every time you use it. 
uh, the the limit does not exist meme. Every time I see that from Mean Girls, I'm like, yes, favorite. You got it. I love the guy from the Discovery Channel alien oh, special. A- aliens. It, it's not. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Yeah, that's a good one. If you ever watch that guy, that he talks exactly the way you would imagine him to. Imagine that his body was taken over by the spirit of Kermit the Frog. Uh-huh. That's how he talks. His arms are just constantly waving around. It bothers me. Let's check in on the Wake basketball program, which we haven't really heard from in a while, considering they didn't practice for three weeks straight. Their last practice was the 29th of November. They started practicing again on the 20th of December, so they've been practicing for a little over a week now. They haven't played a game since the day after Thanksgiving. They were set to play Syracuse tomorrow. That's canceled because, or postponed, excuse me, because Syracuse had a positive case within their program. So Wake wanted to get a game scheduled. So who did they line up? The Indians of Catawba. That's who. Home of Roberts childhood gym coach coach saw it i don't know where he's at anymore but he's probably north carolina coach saw it in the triad right environmental science yeah he was the man huge forearms my mom had a big crush on him honestly he might have been the most attractive teacher at north davidson besides uh coach kerr he was a tall spanish teacher if either one of you were hearing this my mom had a crush on both of you would you let them kiss your mom Oh, yeah, for sure. Sot's got a wife, though, and a beautiful kid, so I wouldn't do that to them, but I think Kerr is single. All right. That sounds great. Catawba, the Indians, D3, that should be a win for Wake Forest. It's important that they're playing this game. So I asked Coach Forbes just how important it was, considering Kevin Keats lined up a game really quickly when they had a two-week break against St. Louis, and even though they lost it, Keats said this was good for us. And a week later, they beat North Carolina. Hopefully, Wake Forest can get its feet beneath them so they'll get set for ACC play and have a better shot against really good competition. This was Coach Forbes earlier today. Oh, man, it's 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 paramount. You know, we, we, we just haven't been on the court, man. I mean, we have in practice, but we haven't had officials. We haven't had a, you know, an, a, a played against a different team. We never had game pressure, you know, game fatigue you know, uh, foul trouble, you know, all the things you got to face in a game that you don't get in practice. So uh, I thought it was, you know, we had to find a game, at least one, right? Uh, Do you mind if I ask Coach Forb a question real quick? Yeah, what's that? Uh, Coach, do you remember the production studio that made Titanic? I I can't remember it. Oh, man, it's it's paramount. Oh, that's right. You're right. (laughs) I completely forgot. Appreciate that, Coach. Uh, trying to think of more Paramount movies. <laughs> trying to think of more. What's the one that? Oh, I know. What? Oh man, it's it's, it's Paramount. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I was like, uh, I'm gonna make a really terrible <laughs> joke." With no, that. It's better. It's infinitely better than I'll see you next year. It is. Hey. Who makes all of Denzel's movies? <laughs> oh man, it's 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 Paramount. There you go. Fences, Flight. <laughs> he has a new movie coming out that looks really good called Little Things. Mm. Steve Forbes. Any idea who? <laughs> no, who's on. making Please don't. Little Things? Oh man, it's 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 Paramount. <laughs> Stupid. 
So stupid. Rugrats the movie, Steve Forbes, who made it. Oh, man, it's 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 paramount. 336-777-1600. Tell us movies that Paramount made. <laughs> so I can keep using this. So Steve Forbes can tell us who produced it. <sighs> Dumbest radio thing we've done this year. And we've done <laughs> a lot of dumb things. We didn't have sports for three months, Robert. Oh, I remember that. We didn't have sports for three months. The dumbest thing that we've done this year is me asking Steve Forbes what movie studio gave us The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, man, it's 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 paramount. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Woo. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, we had that guy on the show this year, too. Been quite a year.